All right, I'm here with Andrew Frezza. Andrew, you are the owner of CrossFit Palm Beach. Where are you sitting right now? I'm in Jupiter, Florida. I'm up in the office upstairs at the gym. So do you know my good friend, Jenny Orr? I do know Jenny, yeah. She's right, right down the street. She did my level one and my level two. Yeah, so you, you grew up in New Jersey, though. Like, like, well, you didn't grow up there. You were born there. Yeah, correct. We're New, we're New I'm, not, I'm not claiming New Jersey, so, you know. <laughs> where, where in New Jersey are you from? Uh, I was born in New Brunswick, and we moved down here when I was three, but we, we've pretty much gone back every single year because I still have family up there. So my family was in Piscataway for a while. My dad went to Rutgers, and then uh, they're now a little bit north of there in uh, like Hackettstown area. Most, most people don't probably know where that is, but if, if you're in New Jersey, you might have heard of it. Well, you're in a much warmer place. You know, I'm from the, from the Northeast, and I moved down here a few years ago, and I love it. But let's be honest, a lot of people listen to this podcast, and they're used to these big names, Chuck Carswell, Adrian Bosman. So maybe they're tuning into this and like, who is this Andrew Frezza guy, right? You, you're in, you're, you have big shoes to fill here. And Definitely. But a lot of coaches listen and a lot of box owners. It's something very unique about what you've been able to do is create quite a facility there across from Palm Beach. Definitely. Um, I think anytime I can be on a, a podcast or in the same uh, conversation as Chuck Carswell, it's a, it's a pretty cool honor. So I'm excited about that. And, uh, you know, hopefully, if anything, what I bring to the table is this idea that you don't have to be, you know, seminar staff, you don't have to have a name in our our industry to build a successful gym and a successful box. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, we've been at CrossFit Palm beach for six and a half years now. My brother and I, we own the gym, Tony. And, uh, yeah, we built a successful business last year was by far our best year ever. We surpassed seven figures in annual revenue last year, surpassed 500 members, which was two goals we had for a while. And, uh, we have a thriving CrossFit program. We have a thriving boot camp program that we call beach fit. And, uh, and yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good ride. And I think that we've, we've done some good things along the way. We've made some mistakes and I, and I hopefully have a lot to, to share with you guys today that will help some affiliate owners out there just like me. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's why we have you on here. And I guess the first question I want to ask you is a lot of box owners here, 500 members, and they think that's impossible for them to get to what have been some of the decisions you've made along the way that have allowed you to get to 500 members? Because that's, I mean, that's challenging. I think this day and age, if a box has 100 to 150 solid members, they're doing a pretty good job. You know, I, I think the average membership at a box is probably somewhere in the 60s, average. Because we forget about all the boxes that are grinding it out or, you know, in small areas. So 500 members is incredible. You know, congratulations on that. But how did you do it? <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question. Um, actually, right now we're, we're in the process of finally like designing a really, really detailed staff handbook. And I was going through and creating like a year by year history for our gym. So I was just kind of revisiting some of the, some of the milestones along the way that kind of helped us get there. But I, I think the biggest one is just, always putting our focus on the class experience. Um, one of our core values here is the class comes first. You know, a lot, a lot of places have core values. If you don't yet have core values, I would highly recommend having core values. Um, but a lot of core values are very up in the air things. It's things like integrity and discipline and, 
and stuff that, you know, one person hears that word, they think of one thing, another person hears that word, they think of something else. For us, we want to have something that was really tangible. And one of ours is that the class comes first. And we've, we've always tried to put our focus and attention on making that class experience a little bit better. And, you know, when you're on the coaching floor, you're a hundred percent of your attention is on those people in the class. It's the, you know, if you're coaching the ADM class, it's the people that are there for, from eight to 9am. And as soon as that class ends, that focus shifts to the next class to help them have that best hour of their day. And, you know, when I was revisiting some of our history, I mean, we've had gyms closed down in the area. We've run things like the new you challenge, and we've seen these huge spikes in membership. But I think the only reason we've been able to hang on to those people and turn it into something is because we've always doubled down on that class experience. And I think that's, that's something for all gym owners to, to kind of hang their hat on is if you can keep that exceptional, and even when you're not getting new faces in the door, you can at least hold on to the ones you have and get the occasional you know, referrals here and there for when things happen around you, a gym closes down, uh, you know, you get approached to do a new challenge or something just clicks for you marketing wise, you're going to be in a, a really good position. Um, and I think that got us, you know, just kind of building on it, that got us to about 300 members. What really got us this, the next step further was, was focusing on, on processes and systems and, and, and trying to work on the business and not just in it. And for us, one of the biggest things that helped us was having a front desk staff. I mean, if you're going to have that kind of volume of people, you'd have to have a really structured staff that's going to be handling a lot of those repetitive miscellaneous tasks and, and can have a lot of those front end conversations for you. So that one was a big one for us, but, um, but yeah, it just really just comes back to that class experience. You know, coach Glassman has always said this, if the box down the road is having more fun, they're going to do better than you. And I think too many boxes kind of look at it where like, oh, we're in, you know, you're in Jupiter, Florida. This is not like you're in New York City. You know, the, you can have a thriving box anywhere. You know, there's no, you know, maybe there's a handful, but there's not many places in the United States that can't support a box like that. Now, something you said that I, I want to really dive into is you, you make it the best hour of their day, which is, you know, obviously the name of this show, but it's all about those people how do you measure that? You know, it's easy to say, hey, you can't be on your phone, you know, focus on, the, on these people. But what are some things you do that trickles down to your coaching staff to make sure that culture is replicated for every hour that you're open? Yeah, there's definitely some structural things you can put into place to, to try to make this happen. So it's not just about what you're saying. Um, number one is meeting regularly with your team. Um, we meet every single week with our team. Every single week, we try to incorporate some level of coaches development into those weekly meetings. So, you know, you have your general housekeeping stuff, but there's some element of coaches development that we aim for at least three out of four meetings in every, every month. So you guys um, meet, you meet every week, your entire week. coaching staff. Yep. We have uh, eight coaches right now. We meet every Thursday, one fifteen, and we usually meet for about 75 to 90 minutes. How many of those eight are full-time? Uh, they're all full-time now. So you have eight full-time staff plus you and your brother. You have 10 full-time. Uh, no, we're included in that. My so brother have, and I are included in that. Yeah. So there's eight of you. So you're, you're paying six people full-time salary. Yeah. And our, I mean, there's a little bit of a, a loose term with that full time in the sense right. of for us, full time means they're coaching at least 15 to 20 class hours in a week. They 
are doing some sort of role outside the gym, whether that be programming, social media, front desk, facility stuff. And then they're doing um, either personal training, personal coaching or nutrition coaching in addition to that. So they kind of have this three tiered approach where it's classes, personal training or programming and a role outside of that. So if, if, if we have a coach that's dabbling in all three, there's obviously a lot, I mean, someone could be doing one to two personal training hours in a week or a month, and then someone else could be doing 10 to 15. So there's a lot of flexibility with it, but that's just how we define it. So, I mean, if you wanted to kind of nitpick it, probably you could say it's more like five or six are full time of the eight, but um, you know, by our standards, we, we call it eight. But that's their, that's their, their way of making money, I suppose. Yeah. They're, they're number one. It is their number one way of making money. for So I'm not sure if they're salaried or not, but the question that came to my mind when you said that is, do they get paid for this weekly meeting? Yes, they do. So they get paid for the meetings. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, They get paid if they miss hours. So we do a simple math system where, if, uh, you know, if a coach averages 18 classes a week and they're at a $30 per hour rate, that 30 times 18 times two, because they get paid bi-weekly, becomes their bi-weekly salary. So if they miss days, they get paid that same amount. They coach 15 hours in a week as opposed to 18, they still get paid for the, doing the 18, right? Now, if that changes consistently, then we readjust that salary, but um, paying for meetings, paying for that coaching time, we pay for lesson plans, we pay for close, opening and closing duties, those become part of their coaching hours. So we've really tried to, you know, I think that's a big step in, in asking your coaches to be professionals is to professionalize it from the pay and compensation side. And it's trying to look at all these areas that they give their time to the business and try to, try to um, you know, calculate that and pay for that. Yeah, I think, you know, right there is an easy way to, to answer some of this. It's, if you want to grow your box to 500 people, it needs to be a business. And for sure. asking people to come in for free is not a business. It's a, it's a volunteer job. It's a hobby. But if you want the people that are going to help you grow, they need to be treated fairly. I just Definitely. see a lot of people, you know, with, and I was guilty of this as well back in the day. It's, you have these expectations set because you're the box owner and you want it and it's important for you but then you expect other people to show up for free. So it's really great to hear that. What, and beyond these meetings, what are some of the other things you do? So another big one is um, utilizing lesson plans. And then that kind of goes hand in hand with using Slack, which we use for our internal communication. So we, have a, we use the Slack app. Um, we have different channels on there for CrossFit and BeachFit lesson plans. We have a general channel. We have a front desk channel. We have new faces and drop-ins channel. And that's where all of our internal communication happens. So that, that really helps to contribute to the team feel. Everybody's working together. And then it just opens up this huge line of communication, makes it categorized, makes it searchable, makes it really easy. Um, and then the other thing is, um, so me and one of our other coaches do the programming each week still. And every Wednesday, we have it finalized for the next week with the, the coaches' notes as well as purpose notes. So actually our members get notes about the workout of, Hey, this is the goal for the today. This is why we're doing this. This is the focus. And then on the back end, the coaches have notes about staging. We have notes about how to choose a weight for the day, how to present the workout at the whiteboard, um, what things you should put into your warm up and cool down, just suggestions. 
And then those notes are taken by the coach who's going to be opening that morning, that 5 a.m. or 5.30 a.m. coach for BeachFit. And they're creating a detailed minute-by-minute lesson plan the night before that everyone can follow through the day. So my big thing with this is it's not just good enough to be great. It's, it's probably better to be really good and consistent than to be 100% amazing. I, I'd rather have a staff that's 95 to 98% of the way there, but it's super consistent from the 5 a.m. class to the 7 p.m. class than to have these superstar coaches that really make something their own and change it, but then it looks really different. Now, with that said, it's not so rigid that you can't bring a personal coaching style to the table, but it is very structured where um, if you took a 5 a.m. class or a 4 p.m. class, you're going to have a very similar experience each day. No, I think that's important. It, you know, and that's, I, I love the idea. I know some other coaches out there don't agree, but I love the idea of coaching different hours. You know, some people say a coach should coach every day at 8 a.m. or every day at 3 p.m., but I love the variety. I love when I show up to a box and I get a new coach. And the only way you can make that happen well is if you have that consistency. Now, you must spend a lot of time on the programming, the timelines, the minute-to-minute breakdown, like you said. Why do you do that versus getting other programming? There's, there's plenty of other good programming out there, be it for free or paid. You know, we've had some people on the show from Hamplan to NC Fit warm up and workouts why do you do your own still um that's a really good question it would be it would be a lot less expensive and time consuming for us to outsource at this point yeah for 150 dollars, it's done for you for sure um i think one of the things that we really love is that we have this this six and a half year history built up and i think when you have recurring themes and recurring benchmarks that happen throughout the year and, and, and after a while, your programming starts to tell a story. And I think if you can evolve that story more so than change it completely, then I think the members really, the ones who have been here a while, really latch on to that. Um, also, you know, I just see it as a great way to develop our team and to be able to do that with one of our, our staff and a couple of our staff to have those conversations about programming. It's developing a skill set that they can take to other things, whether that be coaching on the floor um, or something that we're doing now, we're doing um, individualized programming through Active Life. And now a lot of these coaches have the skill set of programming because they've been working on it more. But it's, it's something, honestly, I've thought about all the time. I go back and forth on. There's been times where we've followed something like CompTrain and just kind of made it our own. We kind of take their workouts and then make you know two or three tweaks to it throughout the week and kind of do it as is. Um, but, but we're just kind of in a nice groove right now where we're doing it our, ourselves and we, we really enjoy it and, uh, and the members are liking it. So yeah, I, I wish I had a better answer, but um, hey, I, and- I don't, it's not something where we definitely wouldn't do it in the future. I can't say that's a sure thing. It, you know, it's the old adage of if it's not broken, don't fix it. I just, I think to my days of box ownership and think, well, if I can save all that time of programming and like you said, the timelines, it's, it's worth it. But, I also think there's value to what you're doing and I think you're developing your coaches and when your coaches have to think about the timeline and the breakdown, it's, it's very valuable and it's every box is unique. So you're, you're, you're able to program for your equipment, for your space, et cetera. Yeah. That's, that's one of my things that I encourage because I've talked about this a little bit with uh, other podcasts on my podcast is if you are getting outsourced program, you have to do the extra 10 to 15% to cut 
customize it to your space. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, one, one that we had to do as we grew um, was was putting a ton of time and effort into staging and putting a ton of time and effort into setup because, you know, if you want to design a, a workout for now a max class of 30, potentially 35, it's a completely different mindset than, you know, knowing you have all the space in the world, you're going to maybe have eight to 10 people in class. You know, if we follow NC Fit at the Boxside map, they use NC Fit, has a beautiful app, et cetera. But oftentimes the busier classes are doing a different workout because, you know, they don't care how many rowers or bikes we have. Mm-hmm. They, they just put out good, the programming is solid. And, but if we don't have enough rowers, we have to change something. We, we had a recent podcast where Fern and I discussed class size. What do you think is the ideal class size? Ooh, I've never been asked that question before. I, I think so. Maybe uh, this might go against what, what some people think is I think in general, bigger is better. And I think that no matter how many people will complain at times that they didn't get enough individualized coaching or they want more individualized attention. I think what people really want is a high energy experience where they're, where they're surrounded by other people who are pushing themselves, throwing down, and they, they, people want to be at a place that other people want to be at, right? Like the empty, the empty bar, the empty nightclub usually stays empty until it hits a critical mass, and then everyone wants to get in and no one can get in. Like our 5 a.m. class is such a good example. It's by far our busiest class, and I mean, who wants to wake up that early to train? But like it became the busiest class because we had this nice core group of people that came and threw down hard and pushed themselves every day. And there's plenty of other class times that people could make time for at more convenient times and have more one-on-one coaching, but they're choosing to come to five and 6 AM. And I think a lot of it is because they want to be in a group that has that high energy. It has a lot of people. Um, and I think that you can still you can still get in a lot of really good coaching in those big classes. Um, it's something I learned from from Ben Bergeron. It's like our mindset when we started was we want to have you know one coach for every six or eight athletes or whatever it was. And I think yes, if if you're trying to completely optimize great coaching, that is the goal. But what we found is we've gone now in more of our larger classes, we've gone down to one coach, and we believe that it it hasn't affected the experience in a negative way. In some cases it's affected the experience in a positive way because now that coach knows that it is all on them and they over deliver in that hour. Whereas before, if we had two coaches in a class of 12 to 14 people, it was just natural for one coach to, for actually both coaches to kind of sit on their heels a little bit. Yes, they were present. They weren't on their phones. They weren't eating off to the side, but they weren't, it wasn't that extra level that they would give when it was just 14 people to themselves and they were bouncing around the room, one person to the next and, and creating this great experience. So I'm a big fan of prioritizing energy and flow and class experience over like purely uh, coach to student ratio in that sense. Well, I definitely agree. There's that mindset. It's, you know, there's an old psychology experiment where it's like somebody else will do it. You know, the more coaches right. you have. So I, I definitely like that. One thing I do, so I do both now. And what I find is that there's a tentativeness when I coach with a second coach, because I'm like, I'm unsure who they got to and what they said to them. Now, when I'm in a one coach system, I know no one's been, if I haven't talked to them, no one's talked to them. So I'm going to get to everybody. 
Yeah, and we have an upcoming episode on how to effectively use a secondary coach. But, you know, one thing we always talk about on here is there's no right or wrong. And clearly, it's working, you know. So, you, you every class you have is coached by one person. What's the biggest that they get? Usually, if so the way we do it is if a class averages 15, 16 or less, we're going to have one coach in it. If it averages more than that, then we're going to we're going to have two coaches in it. And, and for the most part, that um, that means our 5 and 6 a.m. have those two coaches. A lot of our other classes don't. Weekend classes have it as well. Um, our beach fit classes, which is our boot camp classes, always have one coach, no matter what. Um, and those can be a little bit bigger as well. But the nature of those having simpler movements in them, we found that they can definitely uh, get by with one coach and still have a great experience. Well, coincidentally, we said, you know, most coaches can't coach more than 15 to 20 people. So there you have it. You're, you're spot on with that. Have you ever had to fire a coach? Uh, yeah, we've, we've fired a couple and kind of mutually parted ways with others that uh, you could probably argue were, were fired. Um, yeah, like I, you're fired, no, I quit type of thing? <laughs> kind of a little bit. It's, it's what I've learned is that as, as we start to communicate more often and hold a higher standard, coaches will realize that they can't meet that standard. Um, and that's things like, like shining our core values back at them very often, whether that's in meetings, group meetings or one-on-one -on -one meetings, and just kind of reiterating what's being asked of them all the time. And if you do that enough and you do that, especially in a one-on-one -on -one setting, you're going to realize who can't meet those expectations and who can. Um, so yeah. You've thrown out core values a lot, so let's let's talk about that. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means you have specific values, specific um, attributes that you decide are going to guide all of your decisions within the business, um, whether that be new initiatives you want to add, um, new programs you want to add, things like that, whether you want to expand, whether you want to add new equipment, whether you want to hire and fire a coach. Um, all these different things in the business can then be run through this checklist of core values. We're in the process of actually hiring a coach right now. And, and I'm basically reading and rereading our core values four or five, six times a day and, and reviewing that with them. And we have a core values worksheet that we send to all new hires where they have to self-evaluate them on, on each of the, our core values. And then we also do quarterly meetings with our current employees of how do they match up to those core values. And each one we try to break down specific attributes within that. So it's not, again, it doesn't just be this pie in the sky thing, but it feels very actionable. Um, so I can just run down the list of ours really quick. But Our before first you do one that, is before family. you do that, okay, go ahead. I, I know I love it and I'm a big fan of it, which is why I asked, um, you know, I sat down with my mentor and we talk about values. We use a deck of cards and there's a value on each card and you kind of go through, eliminate the ones that are important, aren't important, keep the ones that are, um, is that, how do you go about finding yours before you tell us what they are? How, cause there's a, I mean, so many values out there, right? So how did you find the right ones for CrossFit Palm Beach? Um, we, we followed the process in the book traction, which that was another, that was one of our turning points is kind of reading that book traction and implementing what we could. Um, it's, it's kind of laughable at, at how little of that book we have implemented. There's so much in that book. Um, and we don't, we didn't really implement that much of it, but core values was a big one. 
and uh, having like a 10 year vision and very structured uh, goals throughout the year is, is kind of the big three that we, we stuck with. But the thing that they recommend is, is keep them simple, simple enough that you can remember them. Really, we, I think we've kind of maxed out the most you could have, which is six. You really don't want to, you, ideally you have more like three, three or four of them. Um, you know, but if you have six that you, five or six that you really love, you can have that many. Um, but the goal is to get them on paper and then it really should take three to six months to evolve and shape those values. And we're still adding and tweaking little things. We haven't like eliminated a core value anytime recently, but we've definitely added and kind of reshaped those things or redefined what are some of the actions that might fall under that value. Yeah. So you're talking about traction, the book by, I believe it's Gino. Gino Wickman. Gino Wickman. Yeah. I was recommended it actually by Connor Murphy, who was just on the podcast as well. So what are the values of, of your box? So the first one is we are a family. So that's like greeting people at the door, making people feel welcome, remembering names, stuff like that. Then we go into team over individual. Um, so to me, that's, if there was one, that's the most important. It's that because so little can happen. If you have selfish people, you need people that are bought into the team. And one of the things I've learned about team over individual is being a team player doesn't mean just being willing to do stuff that betters the team that doesn't better you or might not better you. It gets, it's a good team player gets excited for that. They don't even care what happens to them. They're so excited to do something that helps the team that it's not even just a willingness. There's an excitement there. Number three is the class comes first. Um, and that uh, affects all decisions from what equipment we buy to uh, you know, how we, we structure rules around open gym and stuff like that. Um, we have number four, which is, I'll probably get these out of order, but growth mindset. Um, so that's like listening to podcasts like yours, reading books, stuff like that. Um, extreme ownership is another one. And that goes down to probably the most important piece of that is no gossip. Um, gossip is something that we found can tear down a gym faster than anything it's really, really hard to do, um, but having small, slightly uncomfortable, slightly difficult one-on-one -on -one conversations all the time is going to just be a game changer for your business, okay? And then how the do final- you, How do you stop gossip at a gym? So, Ooh. I mean, CrossFit is well known for being drama. Now, I will say the box that I go to here keeps it to a minimum but at my boxes back in the day it was a fraternity house there was partying there was a lot of consensual relationships being forged right amongst fitness how do you keep drama and gossip to a minimum um i think it really just stems from the top my brother and i are people that you know we don't we don't really gossip ourselves we've never really been people that drama has chased us you know, it, it's something I see now where I'm hiring is just certain people, drama just chases them around everywhere. And it's, it's usually the person that says, I hate drama. If you hear that statement, that's a good sign that you yeah. don't want that person on your team because drama chases them everywhere they can go. But, you know, we're, we're not immune to it. There's definitely some here. And uh, with 500 members, it's, it's impossible. But I think it just really comes from leading from the top and and when, when stuff comes up in, in coaches meetings, like one of the things we're big about in coaches meetings is like when we, when we bring up a member, let's try to quickly, you know, we have to bring up negative stuff.
that looks like gossip in a meeting about members because we're bringing up problems that we want to solve. But let's quickly establish what it is we're trying to solve and, and work towards a solution. Once we stop working towards a solution, it, that's where it becomes gossip. You know, or if you're in a conversation casually, if it's not 100% glowingly positive about that other person and they're not there, then you're better off just not saying it at all. Um, so, so little things like that and really just trying to harp on that with our teams and, and trying to be better about it in our meetings is probably the, the number one thing that we do to have that filter down to the members. I think that's really great. And I, you know, I have found myself, you still get guilty and I'm like shooting out a text about someone. I'm like, and I'm writing, I'm like, now I'm going to get a response. Now I'm going to go like, is it worth your time? Like just, if you're going to talk, be with that person and talk to them. Have you fired a member because of drama or gossip? Uh, we never fired a member for that. Um, man, I'm trying to think, I can't really think of any situations where we've had, it's gotten so bad where we've had to address it with people in that, to that degree. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. All right. So go on. What was your last value? Oh, last value is constant and never ending pursuit of excellence. So that's, that's kind of the, the easy one in CrossFit. You know, we hear Greg Glassman talk about that all the time of just trying to make things a little bit better, uh, going above and beyond. It's, it's the little uh, OCD details and staging and organizing dumbbells and kettlebells and things like that, keeping the bathrooms clean, just wanting to make things just a little bit better each day. And, uh, and yeah, just seeing where that takes you. Yeah, he used to say, you know, show me your bathroom and I can tell you what type of affiliate you run. And that was something I held on to very early on. Now, with the programming that you put out there, do you take your classes? Yes, and that's a huge part. So that's, that's probably the, the next piece of what we talked about. We talked about regular coaches meetings. We talked about using Slack, creating lesson plans. The next piece of that is having everyone on staff that is regularly taking classes. I think this is such an important piece. My brother and I have been doing this since the beginning and it's, there's so many different layers to it. Number one, I think it is your best coach's development tool. If you want to learn how to be a better coach and you're the primary thing you're coaching is group classes, then you need to be getting in group classes yourself because you're going to be able to experience it from the member side of things. It doesn't matter how much thought and effort you put into the planning side and lesson plans and all that. You're going to find out things when you take it and when you're in the, the other side of the equation that you never, never knew was there until you actually experienced it. So getting in classes is huge for coaches development, picking up stuff from your other coaches that you can then use in your classes. A good example is tomorrow I coach the nine, the 10 and the four. I will be in that 7 a.m. class so I can take the class, experience it, throw down with the members. 8 a.m., I cool down. I might do some extra work. I'll shower. And then my 9, 10, and 4, I'm going to be ready to go. And I guarantee because I took that 7 a.m. class, there's going to be something that I do just a little bit different or better than I would have had I not taken that class. Um, I, I agree. And I find actually often I coach on Thursdays and I, I rest most of the time on Thursdays. So I don't get to hit the workout and it's, and it's harder for me because I don't have that experience of having hit class first. And, and I typically like to before I coach it. 
Exactly. It makes such a difference. Um, another big piece of it, I think it's an integrity piece. I think every day we're at the whiteboard, we're, sa we're salespeople, we're telling our members in more or less words, we're saying, this is what you need to do get, to get fitter. And if you don't, if you do something else, to me, that's sort of breaking integrity. I think there's rare situations where you're, you're, you have an injury, you have, you're training for a specific type of competition that you need, might need to get away from classes here and there. But I think those, those things are so few and far between. And I think that that integrity piece is really huge. And then just from a buy into the community, um, remembering and learning names and, and that breaking down those barriers between you and your members and, and throwing down with them is, is another big piece of it. So yeah, we, when we right now in our coaches contracts, it says you're required to take classes three times a week at the minimum. When we hire, we want coaches now that look at that number and laugh at that. They go three classes a week. I'm going to be in one every day. That's not a big deal. I'll, you know, like that's what we hire for now. And it's, it's something that if any, if someone checks every other box, they check every other box of our core values, but they don't check that box. We probably won't hire them. We won't, we won't hire them actually. Is there any box they can not check and still get hired? Uh, I mean, there's always gray area where cert with certain core values, you know, like when someone's like, you know, man, I, I played, I played baseball growing up. I played soccer growing up. I miss the team sport environment. I love that aspect. I'm just not getting enough of that at my current gym. I would love to be a part of a team that is just working towards, you know, being one of the best gyms in the world every single day. You hear stuff like that. And then you hear people from like an extreme ownership standpoint that are like, yeah, I, I struggle a little bit with gossip. I'm, it's something that I know I could be better with. And that's, that's usually a good sign. You know, that's someone that's not going to be perfect with it, but wants to improve. But like, that's, that's a box that I would say they don't quite check yet, but they're certainly on their way to being able to check that box. Yeah. John Gilson calls that conscious incompetence when you're aware of what you're not good at. So yeah. your box is thriving. You created rockstar coaching. So your way of helping other boxes develop, their coaches as well and i'm looking through some of the things you cover really interesting really awesome stuff talk to me a little bit about some of these tools for remembering names and connecting with clients on a deeper level so what are some things you preach in order to make that happen yeah so um we talk about a lot of stuff that ben bergeron talks about we talk about the emotional bank account and in the course we break down just like 15 to 20 different deposits we can do in someone's emotional bank account. And then, you know, another 15 that things that look like withdrawals. So spending more time in the deposits, things like being present in every minute of class. Um, and then the big one is 10 minutes before and after class is, are you investing that time 10 minutes before and after class when people know that you're, you're not on the clock, you're, it, it's, it's really those minutes where you're going above and beyond. Um, and that's a really, tangible thing that you can do. Um, when it comes to remembering names, it's, it starts with when you first learn someone's name, taking it, them in visually. So if I'm hearing your name, Jason, I'm going to be looking at your beard, your mustache, your hair. I'm going to get this really good visual snapshot of you because we're much better at uh, visual recall than we are at just re repetition. And if I repeat Jason, Jason, Jason in my head, that's not a bad thing. It's going to help me uh, in the short term, remember your name. So when I walk away, it's not already gone, but I need to get this really good visual representation of you. And then 
one of the things that I love to say, say is like, if I hear your name, Jason is like, Oh, is that spelled normal? Do you have a Y in it? How's, how's it spelled? Are you, are you asking? Yeah. I'm asking. Uh, the, the typical Jason, J-A-S-O-N. J-A-S-O-N. Okay, perfect. So that gives me a second visual. So not only do I have you as the visual, but I actually have your spelling now as a visual in my head. And then I'll try to, just so again, I don't lose that name during that conversation. I'm going to say, you know, it's been great talking with you, Jason. Um, you know, hope you're looking forward to the workout today, Jason. I'll say your name a couple times without being awkward. And then as soon as I walk away, I'm writing your name down. I'm getting that down on paper. Um, you know, just yesterday we had, we did a Memorial day workout. We had a lot of drop-ins. I'm writing names down for our coaches to make sure that they have it. Cause I met some people at the front, like I'm doing those things all the time. Um, and then the last thing you can do is get some sort of connection with it. So, um, I might connect you to a friend of mine that also has a beard and a mustache and something similar. I might think of another Jason that, uh, that I know in the gym and start to kind of pair you in my mind with them. And I'm going to do these things sort of visually to help me remember names. And uh, usually a combination of all those things will help. I still forget a lot of names. And then the last piece of it is don't be afraid to ask. You have this, you know, I, I don't think you ever want to think of it too much like a window, but I think you have a window of three, four, five opportunities where you can re-ask someone's name before it's awkward. And I think most people by the time they get to the second or third, they think it's awkward when it's not, and then they don't ask, and then they don't get it, and then they go, you know, months and years without knowing someone's name. You know, we that's exactly what Fern and I said on our episode about that. It's like, I what's more awkward, at not asking, or, you know, seven weeks later, having to admit you don't know their name. Yeah. But I think it's a little bit of cheating if you're only putting me in other classes with people named Jason with beards <laughs> and must. It's a little easier to remember someone's, hey, you're in the Jason class, so it's a lot easier. Yeah, uh, I do that with, with partner workouts. You, you have to partner with someone that has the same name as you. That's, yeah. that's one of the benefits of having 500 members. You always have a duplicate name in the same class. That's true. So you, you mentioned, though, in there, maximizing 10 minutes before and after class, and it's off the clock. Are you actually paying your coaches for that time? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we, we pay well for our classes, uh, at least based on what I've seen in, the, in this industry. And um, we, we do feel that, yes, we're paying for that time, the 10 minutes before and after class. Um, we, you know, it's just, there's so many opportunities there. Um, we, like one of the things that I, my personal goal, and we talk about all the time is like, I don't want my first interaction in a class to be me telling you something you could do better. I want my first class to be, or my first interaction to be a hello. Hey, how's it, how's it going? How are you feeling? Are you sore from, from Murph the other day? You know, like what kind of, how are you going to attack today's workout? I want to have those, that little check-in first prior to that. So if I get, you know, for an 8 a.m. class, if 8 a.m. rolls in and I've talked to no one prior to that, then I have to spend the warm up doing that. And I have to spend the, the strength and skill work if there's some doing that. Now, if I've done all that stuff in the 10 minutes prior to class, now I can begin to coach a little bit in the warm up. I might still include some of those relationship building pieces. I, I just saw someone was on vacation. I might slip that in as I'm walking past them in a warm up and, and see how that went. Um, but for the most part, like I want to begin coaching a little bit. I want to I want to begin going a little bit deeper. And if we can get that initial interaction out of the way, um, you know, then we're just going to be more successful in that hour. And there's always going to be little things that you have no idea that are going to come up. They're going to come up in those little conversations. That's going to allow you to deliver a better fitness experience in class. And that's what 
I think not enough people get is that the, they're not mutually exclusive. You don't have the relationship building side and then the fitness side. Most of what we're doing in here requires a deeper connection. Most of your veteran athletes, it's, it's, they've heard knees out a million times. It's not that they need to hear it another time. There's something else there that's preventing you from getting that, that progress with them. And those little tidbits you can learn before and after class is usually that missing link. Yeah. I mean, what you're defining is just connecting with other humans. I was, I was just on a podcast talking about that with nutrition. So much of it isn't about the food or the nutrition. It's about understanding other human beings. So when it comes to those 10 minutes, is that required? What's the expectation? A coach is coaching the, the 4 p.m. class. Do they have to be there by 3.50 and stay till 4.10? How do you define that for your coaches? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's more or less what it is. I mean, we're not enforcing it to the point that there's a specific check-in or anything like that. Now, if we see a pattern of a coach coming in, you know, 52 after, 55 after for that class, and they could be getting there earlier, we're going to have a conversation with them. Um, but, you know, there, there's a little bit of leeway there on a, on a one, one-off instance or anything like that. Uh, but it's, it's just more or less, you know, a, a lot of this stuff just goes down to finding coaches that, that again, this stuff feels easy for them. Like the, the before and after class, the taking classes, um, wanting to learn and develop and, and have this growth mindset like, you know, we, we have coaches that are sharing your podcast that you did with Dr. Sean in our Slack group, you know, having coaches like that on board that are just, they, they love this. It doesn't feel like work for them is really key. And, and, and we've gotten closer and closer to that over uh, the recent months and years. And, and that makes it a lot easier. I think that if you're an owner, who's beating your head against the wall with your staff, it's, there's probably a high likelihood you just don't have the right people on board. You know, you, yes, you have to communicate it. You have to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations, but if you set it over and over in a one-on-one -on -one environment, chances are you just need to get a new person on board. Yeah. My mentor used to say, change the people or change the people. And um, that sounds like that's what you're saying. But I, think, I like but I think what you're, I think one thing you do that you probably are aware, but maybe someone needs to tell you is you're, you're leading from the front. And I think by leading from the front, you're going to get that buy-in from your coaches and, and it's just easier to get them involved because they see that you're willing to do it. You know, you're, you're showing up at seven to take class before you coach, you're doing all the right things. This is, this has been great. I think we can talk for hours and I would love to talk more with you, but I have to run to, <laughs> so I always like to ask though, what's one book you'd recommend that the listeners check out? Okay. So we've talked about the book traction and I know, I mean, a lot of the books that I would probably recommend first have probably either people already know about or have been said. The one book that popped into my head that I think most people haven't checked out is a book called Enlightened Hospitality. And it's a book by Danny Meyer. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's the book. Maybe that's just the name of what they, uh, they call it, but I can check on that. Um, but basically he has, he's the owner of Shake Shack He's the owner of a couple of restaurants that are like top 50 restaurants in the world. And he has this view on hospitality and experience in a different industry that I think we can translate to our industry as coaches and gym owners. So it's just really cool to um, see it from that perspective. I, I, I'm finding that I'm learning more from diving into other industries and other people than even more so from just being in this like 
black hole of CrossFit stuff. So I'd highly recommend owners and coaches check that out. Um, and then on that same token, he was featured in the book, the culture code, which is another one of my favorites. So either one of those two books I would recommend. And those are probably two that most people haven't seen yet. You had me at Shake Shack. So I will definitely, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I will definitely check that out. And that reminds me of a book. I think it's called the Ritz Carlton experience or something along those lines that you'd probably like if you haven't read it, we're just a company like that does it right. And you know, the, that four star, five star experience out there. Well, yeah. I'm going to post all of your information out there, including the links to your course, your social media and all that. But like I said, I think we can have a, an entirely an additional podcast just because I love talking about this as do you. And it's been really great. And I think you can learn a lot from Andrew. So certainly check him out. Any last words you'd like to add to this? No, I really appreciate you having me on Jason. This is fun. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, one more time, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send us any feedback you have to at Best Hour of Their Day on Instagram and Best Hour of Their Day at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. We appreciate you. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your day.